recording. This, this is BP Technology Outlook. Focus on batteries. Podcast. I'm Angela Lamont, a technology journalist. This podcast is about battery technology. In the last one, we were looking at solar energy, and one of the questions that we were left hanging with was where do you store renewable energy? One of the ways you can do that is with batteries. But frankly, batteries haven't always been up to the job. Now, it wouldn't surprise you that BP have their finger on the pulse and do their own research on battery development and technology. But they also listen to a huge range of experts from all over the world. Over the last few weeks, I've had the privilege of chatting to quite a few of them and wanted to share their insights with you. I was the first uh, person with a battery electric vehicle on our Pangborn Technology Centre. Unless you experience it yourself, it's very, very hard to, to uh, have an informed opinion. Bogdan Gadja leads BP's research on energy storage. My role for BP is to listen to an extremely wide range of uh, opinions and help the company make informed decisions in terms of our long-term strategy. One of the things that struck me about the experts I interviewed for this podcast was that every expert had their own passionate reasons for being involved in technology. Kurt Kelty. So for me, batteries are a key element to get us off of fossil fuels. What appealed to me about the electricity sector and then about energy storage in particular was actually the speed at which things can change. Logan Goldie-Scott, head of energy storage at Bloomberg NEF. The vision that uh, the streets will be quiet and clean really is something that, that drives me. Doran Meyersdorf, CEO at StoreDot. Our children and our grandchildren, they would not believe that we polluted our planet. So what, what's been fascinating to see is that this market has gone from relatively a relatively niche space um, towards being much more mainstream. And this has really been driven by what we've seen on the electric vehicle side. Um, as electric vehicle uptake has increased, um, we've seen billions of dollars uh, of investment in lithium-ion manufacturing capacity. And uh, we're actually just at the cusp of a huge expansion in capacity. So we're, we're in a pretty remarkable space in terms of the tipping point and the scale that we're about to observe. How long can that kind of growth go on? We expect that this growth will have to continue um, at least for the next sort of uh, decade and, and likely much further because we're seeing demand for batteries grow grow very rapidly. I'm concerned about supply. Kurt Kelty oversaw the battery technology at a critical time for Tesla. So many companies out there announcing their EV plans that are significant, I mean, really high volume. And where are those battery cells going to come from? There's not nearly enough battery cells to meet the demand. I'm here at the University of Warwick to chat with Mel Loveridge at the Warwick Manufacturing Group. We're going into an airlock to stop too much moisture entering the actual dry laboratory. Humans very selfishly emit moisture, which lithium ions don't like. Well, we're all for dry humour on this podcast. (laughs) So what actually makes a battery a battery? Well, a battery operates on uh, converting chemical energy into electrical energy. And so to do that, it has to contain anodes and cathodes 
which contain different types of material. So in a lithium-ion battery, positively charged lithium ions shuttle from one electrode to the other inside the battery, while the negatively charged electrons flow through your device, your phone, your laptop, your electric vehicle, to power that device as they go. If you look at the metals, the raw materials that go into batteries, nickel, uh, lithium, cobalt, are are the three primary ones you kind of have to look out for in terms of are we going to have enough supply uh, going forward. And with the lithium, it's just a matter of investment. We can do that. Nickel, there is plenty of. Ultimately, there may be an issue with nickel because we need battery-grade nickel. And so if we really hit the the growth plans of all these OEMs, uh, then we'll develop a shortage the latter half of 2020s. Uh, But the the shortage I'm referring to more is on the battery manufacturing capability, uh, where there just are not enough uh, factories around the world to produce uh, all the battery cells that are forecasted. What we're beginning to see is companies move into space and uh, many firms actually work on expanding facilities to bring that capacity online. We can expect huge change and uh, sort of unparalleled uh, sort of investments over the next few years. But I, I think that's something to be excited about rather than something to be scared about. And how does a lithium-ion battery work compared to other kind of cells? Well, the chemistries will be different and the energy density. That's the exciting thing about lithium-ion batteries which were invented. Sony's camcorder needed more energy than typical batteries could supply. So the chemistry choice was much greater. But now, obviously, with the interest in lithium-ion technology and with it being the most likely contender to carry on the electrification of transport, a lot of research has skyrocketed in this area. That camcorder battery is close to 30 years old now. So that's quite an amazing span of time to look at how things have changed. In the electronics industry, we have Moore's Law. So every 18 months or so, you get a doubling of capability. Unfortunately, we don't have that advantage in batteries. Batteries are chemistry as opposed to electronics. And so it was always an incremental improvement that would double every 10 years or so. So it's a very different pace of improvement. I think the continuous evolution of standard lithium-ion technology is probably going to be the biggest impact in the next 10 years. And uh, there are many different technologies out there, but if lithium-ion can deliver all the cost and technical requirements, does it matter? And because, of course, everyone is forecasting this huge demand for lithium-ion batteries, but how about smarter, more efficient? What's happening on that front? I see huge amounts of further potential, huge amounts of change within uh, within lithium-ion more broadly. Um, so it's not just that batteries, uh, batteries are getting cheaper, um, it's also very much that batteries are improving in terms of their energy density, in terms of how, they'll, how long they'll last and how they'll perform. Beyond lithium-ion, there is a, is a whole range of uh, alternative chemistries, but these have, to date, struggled to gain that scale and market acceptance that lithium-ion has. And, and part of the reason there 
is that they don't play in as many different industries as lithium-ion does. And so they're not able to benefit from that scale that lithium-ion gets as a virtue of its uh, sort of uh, variety and versatility. We're going to be approaching the theoretical limit pretty soon on lithium-ion cells. As, as we approach the end of our incremental improvements, we, we've got to get something new out there. Any sign of what that might be yet? Longer term, I think solid state uh, chemistry is uh, probably the next big jump. People are used to really fast charging their electric vehicles now. Can you fast charge solid state batteries? That's a good question. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's one of the challenges that the chemistry faces. Um, that, that's kind of the last compromise in, in the vehicle. The EV outperforms internal combustion engines in every metric, speed, handling, safety. The EV beats ICE in every category. So the one last one is charge time, where you can fuel up so very quickly in a gasoline-powered car, and it just takes much longer in, in an EV. So that, that is an area that uh, is going to see continued activity to, to increase the fast charge capability. I'm David Lighton. I'm BP's Head of Technology. As you get into the electrification of transport, you're going to have massive demand when a car turns up and wants to be charged up. Uh, you've got to be very smart about the way in which you manage the interface between that and either battery storage or the grid. We are already using batteries um, and we are very much uh, beginning to look at more intelligent supply and demand management of power. I'm Dan Walker, I lead the Technology Futures team at BP. Fast charging, ultra fast charging is very important for an EV driver and new battery chemistries such as that being developed by Stordot um, could have a big role to play there. Doran Meyersdorf. We are trying to make sure that as we transition to electric vehicles, the batteries uh, in those vehicles would enable the same experience, so five minutes in and out uh, from the uh, charging station. We are reinventing some of the basic materials that are going into the lithium-ion batteries. So for example, we are totally replacing graphite with some metalloids, germanium or tin or silicon, all these materials or elements that are known to have very fast diffusion of the ions of the lithium. Silicon is one of the new anode materials that are being uh, developed and it seems to be close to commercial maturity. Maybe today you can make a uh, pure silicon anode battery cell that can fast charge in 5-10 minutes but it's not going to last as long as the um, standard lithium-ion battery technologies. And people are working very, very hard to uh, mitigate that trade-off. What does the continued popularity and growth of electric vehicles depend on? Is it that they need to come up with more efficient lithium-ion, or is it that they need to crack this new technology? Technologies in isolation of anything else will not disrupt, they will not transform. It's how you use those technologies through what business models they will disrupt, they will transform. We refer to progress in battery technology as being about evolution rather than revolution. We believe there's still a lot of performance growth in lithium-ion technologies. The more we are improving even current materials, both anode and cathode, the further we will see cycle life and durability. 
in the future, you're going to end up with battery cells instead of uh, getting a thousand cycles, they're going to get five or 10,000 cycles with the same performance benefits. So you're going to get vehicles that can last a heck of a lot longer. One of the other consequences of that is that the lifetime ownership of an EV uh, becomes very, very small. And so the concern about EVs being too expensive is suddenly much less relevant. So as, as a result, they I really think the, the percentage of EV versus ICE is going to increase pretty dramatically. Lithium-ion batteries will be the dominant uh, batteries or energy storage device that would be available uh, in anything for the coming decade. What would change is the materials and the uh, properties of these lithium-ion batteries. So the more research we do into larger format batteries, we have to demonstrate that we're making safety improvements. I now find that we're standing outside a label marked a battery abuse centre. We do a number of abuse tests, so-called. Uh, they can be anything from nail penetration, crash, heating, overcharge, because we need to know what is going to be the absolute worst case scenario. And this is why we typically would set up an abuse experiment, video it, close the door and literally walk away. When you understand fully how something fails, can you then go on to make it better? So you can design it to be safer, you can design it to be longer lasting, but you could also design it for when it's not needed anymore and have strategies for that too. You need to design a battery with the end of life into consideration. Currently, you can extend the lifetime of the battery so you don't have to replace it like you have to do it for your remote control. You can also design the battery with a second life application in mind and that could extend the lifetime of the battery by another five to ten years. Ultimately, you will want to recycle the battery into the raw materials and uh, potentially use them to make a new battery. The recycling part and reuse part is challenging at the moment, but what we see is the uh, industry are clearly aware of this challenge and we see a lot of activity in the area. One of the things that we haven't really focused on is broader political momentum around decarbonisation. This hasn't been at the forefront of sort of our work. Batteries require a lot of energy and raw materials to manufacture and currently that comes with a heavy carbon penalty because of the current carbon intensity of the grid. As the grid decarbonizes globally, that CO2 penalty is going to get lower and lower, but power sector decarbonization is ongoing. What I see is happening is just growing awareness and engagement with this topic that's new to people in the industry. Once things enter that sort of political consciousness and once uh, this sector become more of a talking point, I think that makes a pretty significant difference in that pace of change. An exciting point in the development of any technology is when everyone's talking about it and those changes come thick and fast. But for me, as a technology journalist, the most exciting time is when we stop talking about it. And we're at the place that we wanted to be. The place that has devices that work all the time. A place where the cities are cleaner and greener. And much, 
quieter. This was a BB Technology Outlook production. Focus on batteries. Podcast.